Thanks for checking out this video. My name's Kiara, and I hope you enjoy this message from Redemption Church. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. So we're in a series called Becoming Wise. And in this series, what we're doing is we're evaluating what the scripture says about how to become a wise person. And we're not just looking for little antidotes in scripture that say, hey, do this or do that, live wise. No, we're talking about what, what's the character or the, the nature, the, the thinking of a wise person so that when we become wise, then we can walk the best possible path in life. The best possible path being the path, not necessarily the most glamorous or the most prosperous, but the path that is in full submission to God's will. We see this best modeled by Christ who prayed, your will, not my will be done. And so Jesus walked the best possible path. And it was said of Jesus that he grew in wisdom starting as a young child. And so all of that wisdom that he grew in through those years made him fully able to surrender himself to the will of the Father by death on a cross. And so we're in week four. Next week, we'll transition into a kind of a series within this series called Living Wise, uh, where we'll uh, talk now that we've become wise, right? In four weeks, we've all become wise. And now how to live wise. Probably the most scared I've ever been in life was driving through the mountains of Idaho a couple years ago in the middle of a snowstorm. I had really no idea where I was going because I couldn't see more than three feet ahead of me. My phone wasn't picking up service. I was driving a rental two-door Ford Focus. And in that type of environment, I have the survival skills of a declawed cat in the wilderness. It was scary. I was scared. It was bad. And so I just drove really slowly, didn't see anyone else for a long time, hoping to get to my safety zone, my ultimate destination, which in that particular moment was Walmart, where everyone feels safe. So I did what I could, which was continuing to drive and using the middle line as a guide, don't cross it and stay appropriately distant from it. And then every once in a while, the highway sign would show up. So at least I knew I was still on the road and on the right road. At the beginning of this text, James talks about the storms of life and how difficult they can be. And what's interesting is that James never encourages the Christian to pray that the storm stops. In fact, we never see that once in the New Testament. Instead, what we see is a prayer to have joy in the midst of the storm. And here to that, James adds wisdom in the midst of the storm. So what does the Christian do when he or she is walking through life and feels like I did in that car? Scared, not sure where to go, uncertain about what the future holds, or unable to see as clearly as you would like. What do we do? Well, James, Jesus' half-brother, gives us some insight here. He tells us what to do, and then he tells us how to do it. And so I hope this morning will serve for you as a practice to get into in life when you feel like I did in the car, scared, nervous, not sure what to do, unclear about the future. What do we do? Well, James says, ask for some wisdom. 
James chapter 1, verse 5 is a verse that I believe every Christian would be helped by having memorized. It says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. There's four elements to this verse that I want to walk through this morning, the second of which has some subpoints, and so I'll point those out as well. Following today's sermon, I hope that each of us will have a tool that we can use when we find ourselves in these moments in life. The first part is this. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom. Well, how generous of James to give some of us the benefit of the doubt. Like some of us might not lack wisdom. He says, if. But for the rest of us, James uses the word lack, which is a Greek word, liepo. Here's what it means, a severe shortage. The best metaphor we can create is imagine there was a blackout and all the power was done and your house now lacked the power needed for basic functions, like watching Netflix. You couldn't even do that because you didn't have any power. So what would you need to do in that severe shortage? You would need to find power from outside of your normal source. And so you would get a generator to try to power it up so you could do what you needed to do. This word liepo or this word lack or need indicates a severe shortage, an inability to produce the wisdom or the insights that you need in order to walk the best possible path. And so the scenario that James has created is you in the midst of a circumstance in life where you're not sure the best thing to do. You lack Sophia's wisdom, special insight. So what do you do? Well, he tells us to ask God. He doesn't say, freak out, have fear, go ask the world, go text your best friend, Google it. Some of us, we have come up with um, options for how we pursue wisdom. Some of them godly, some of them not. Sometimes we throw it up to chance, say, all right, if this billboard says this, then that means this. Or we have other ways that we have created to try and produce wisdom when we lack it. No, James says, if you have a severe shortage of special insight because of the storm or the situation that you're in, then ask God. Point two, ask God. See, we've been defining wisdom as the humility to know, discern, and walk the best possible path, the best possible path being the path fully submitted to God's will. And so if in a circumstance you don't know how to fully walk out God's will, the encouragement is then to ask him. Here, probably for the first time in our series, we're seeing the intimate connection between wisdom and a vibrant prayer life. This word ask is aieto. It means adamant in your request with a full expectation of receiving. 
The word is actually more of a command than a request. James is saying to the believer, if you don't know what to do, go ask God. Stop making it up on your own. Go ask him what to do. Make him the first place you turn for wisdom, not the last place you turn for wisdom. Okay, but we all know this, that how we ask anything matters. How many times were we told this children? It's not what you asked, it's how you asked it, right? Or it's not what you said, it's how you said it. So how are we to ask? Well, James anticipates this question. So in verse six, he tells us, he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James presents a story. One person receives the wisdom. The other person does not. Now, the word aeto meant the word to ask with expectation and commitment. So where does that come from? Well, he says, first, ask in faith. See, faith produces expectation. And trust produces commitment. Let me tell you what faith is not. Faith is not, I believe God will give me exactly what I desire. It is, I believe God is good, whatever the outcome. Faith is not a commitment to a certain end. This job, that person, this school. Faith is, God, you know exactly what you're doing, and I trust you in it. We see this modeled by Jesus' prayer. Faith is saying, I will not move from my trust in you regardless of the outcome. Asking in faith is a deep commitment to following God's will. A deep commitment that comes because we've humbly acknowledged that he sees farther, he sees better, he sees clearer, he sees more into the future than we do. And because of that, I can ask in faith. Is it wrong to pray your desire? No. Jesus prayed his desire, even though he knew from the beginning of time it wouldn't be fulfilled. You and I don't know it won't be fulfilled until we pray it, so we might as well pray it. So is it wrong to pray your desire? Not at all. Not at all. But we also must pray then. Your will, not mine. To this, asking in faith, James also says, because what stops us from complete faith? Doubts. Doubts. So he says, ask in faith without doubting. Without doubting. Now let me, for a second, say, we live in a culture that loves doubts. We love to wrestle in the doubting. James is going to present that doubting is the number one thing that prohibits us from receiving wisdom. So you can wrestle in your doubting. You can. Or you can place your trust in God. James actually spends the rest of the passage discussing the destructive nature of asking while wavering. He says it's really counterproductive. 
He tells the story of somebody who it seems like one moment they believe in God and the next they don't. One moment he's their everything, the next moment he's their nothing. One moment he's the object of their worship, the next moment he's the object of their scorn. And this person's unstable. Do they love God? Do they worship him only? Do they believe him to be who he says he is? Or are they willing to throw it out at any moment? Who knows? Early in our marriage, Lindsay and uh, we had these friends. And we would text them and ask them to hang out. Typically, it was donuts on Saturday morning. Like, who wouldn't want that? And whenever we would text them, we would know what was going on. Because the response after a while typically came back, yes, sure. Maybe we'll let you know. It's like, wow, that digressed quickly. And eventually we figured out what was happening. They were saying yes, but then they were holding out and thinking, well, hold on. Let us see if something better comes up first. And we kind of got used to it, and it was fine, and we're still friends with them, and it's okay. But we realized they were just holding out to see if better plans came up. James is presenting this as the prayer life of some people. God, I'm praying this to you, but I also want you to know that half of me is also working on my own plan just in case this one turns out better. So I'm holding off. I'm not going to give you my full heart. I'm not going to fully surrender because let's see what else surfaces. No, we are to make Christ our one eternal foundation. Wavering makes our prayers ineffective. It's the biggest obstacle to wisdom. It leads to instability, and it leads to unwise decisions. The Christian needs to settle this before asking for wisdom. And here's what the this is. A firm commitment to God's will prior to knowing what it is. A firm commitment to God's will prior to knowing what it is. And so the prayer then is, God, I'm praying this because it's what's on my heart. But if your will be different, I will follow it. My commitment to your will is not contingent upon it being what I want. I listen to a lot of Dave Ramsey's podcast. Amen. And as I do, one call happens every week. Somebody calls in to the Dave Ramsey show, and they argue with Dave Ramsey about Dave Ramsey's philosophy on money. And at one, some point in the call, he just goes, it's my show. Why did you call me? You knew what I was going to say. I'm never going to tell you to get in debt. I'm never filling the blank. And he always ends it with, why did you call? James is saying, why did you pray? If you're going to argue with him about what the wise thing to do is, then why'd you even pray? That's the metaphor that James is creating here. Why go to the God of the universe just to argue with him that your understanding is better? It isn't. No, instead, we must see God's answers as protection and love towards us, even if we don't fully understand. Now, how do we develop a trust like that? How do we develop that trust? 
out of relationship. Out of relationship. The phrase at the beginning, if any of you need wisdom, ask God, in other translations is translated, if any of you need wisdom, ask or of God. They throw in this word of, and um, it's, a, it's a phrase in the Greek parathi, which indicates an intimacy and a closeness to the Father. See, going back to the top, we ask with expectation and commitment, not out of presumption, but out of understanding of our position before God the Father. So your confidence is uh, not in our own understanding. Our confidence is in the fact that we are in Christ. You know, it's said in the scripture six times more that we are in Christ than Christ is in us. Six times more. Scripture says you are in Christ. Colossians says it the best. Your new life is now hidden in Christ. Later, James is going to say that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Who's the righteous person? The one who's fully learned how to live up to the Ten Commandments? or the Old Testament law, the one who has um, gone to confession and made sure that they've um, asked for forgiveness of all their previous sins. No, the righteous person is the person who is in Christ. A reminder, friend, that Christ's death on the cross forgave you of your sins once and for all. There is no needed additional act. Christ forgave your sins. When you embraced Christ, the scripture says you were made righteous. Let me freak you out for a moment. Another verse says you were made perfect. You look at yourself and you say, I'm not perfect. I know you're not perfect. You still battle with the flesh. And there is a flesh, but you have been given a new nature in Christ. Now, sin will still, the power of sin will still attack you, certainly. The flesh will still want to win, but you have been made righteous in Jesus. Made new in Christ. So when you pray, you pray out of relationship with him. Maybe I can say it this way. Intimacy creates insight. But intimacy is not only produced because you've lived perfectly this week. Intimacy is produced because you understand who you are in Christ, in Jesus. James is telling you to put down your doubts and your fears in asking God and to bank on the fact that being in Christ means something. Two things that typically stop us from approaching God. One, not exactly understanding who we're asking. So we look, uh, or we feel more like the student in class who's afraid to raise his hand and ask the teacher a question. Right? We, we feel afraid like that. We hesitate. Hopefully what I've just explained will remove that hesitation. You are in Christ. In the presence of your heavenly Father, He sees Jesus' perfection. He sees Jesus' holiness. He sees His righteousness. We sing about it. We also have to believe it. You are in Christ. So you can approach Him and ask Him for wisdom. Second thing that often asks us or causes us to hesitate from asking God for wisdom is we don't want the answer, right? 
This is when the flesh is still battling against us. When the flesh is trying to win. When the power of sin is trying to take over. Sometimes we don't ask God for wisdom because we're not committed to following whatever he says. We don't ask him for wisdom because we actually like our plan better. But instead, we need to ask God for wisdom out of our understanding of the gospel that we are now in Jesus. That he who gave us the good gift of his son, who gave us the good gift of his Holy Spirit, will also give us the good gift of wisdom. And so we ought to ask in faith, without doubts, out of relationship. And we should ask with great confidence. Why? Because it's given to those who ask in this way. It's not just given to the perfect ones, the smart ones, the great ones, the holy ones, the public ones. No, it's given to those who ask in faith. You, if you ask in this way. Wisdom will be granted special insight into the situation will be granted you. Oh, and look at this good news in verse 5. If any of you has a severe shortage of special insight because of the storm, let him adequate, I'm adding on, let him adamantly request of God out of your relationship with him, and he gives generously. Dodontes, a word for someone who gives generously. It means they always give. When we were growing up, uh, we had to sell the world's finest chocolate as a fundraiser. How many of you have had those? Can I hear an amen? They're delicious. We, my siblings and I, um, we would fight over who got to ask our grandfather, who we call Poppy, who got to ask Poppy first, because Poppy always bought. Okay, not one, not two, an entire box, right? And so we all wanted to be the first one who got to ask, because it was always yes, always yes. This phrase, who gives generously, is saying God always says yes when we ask in this way. That wisdom, knowing his will, is not to be a mystery. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to create a puzzle. We don't have to look for clues. He gives generously. When I showed up to ask my grandpa if he wanted to buy these, he didn't make us go on a scavenger hunt to find the $50 bill. He just took the candy. God wants to give. He wants to give this. He's the one who would never let us down in this way. He's proven it by the fact that he didn't even withhold his only son from us, that he gave us his Holy Spirit. Of course, he wants to give his children, those who are clothed in the righteousness of his son, wisdom on what to do. And then this entire thing is wrapped up in a guarantee. Look at the end. He gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. It's a guarantee. It absolutely will be given when we ask in this way. The encouragement is to ask for an unreasonable amount of wisdom, and he will, guaranteed, stamp it, give it to you. Something that's amazing to me, uh, as I've watched Reagan grow up, is that I actually have to teach her to ask for help. And so when she's doing a task that is beyond her knowledge, discernment, or strength, and I'm standing right there and very capable of doing it, I have to teach her 
to ask for help. And so I've been instructing her lately, Reagan, all you have to say is, Daddy, help. James is looking at you, and he's saying, all you have to say is, Daddy, help. Father, I don't know what to do. Help. Let's put this all together. Let's look at this verse. Because of the storms of life, if any of you have a severe shortage of special insight into God's will, with an adamant expectation of receiving, ask God in faith, without doubting, out of your position in Christ before him, and he will absolutely grant you that wisdom. This is a promise of scripture. So I don't know what you're facing. I'm not sure what arena or avenue of life it is. But this is James' encouragement. Practice it. Practice it tonight when you leave. God, I need wisdom. But settle in your heart your firm commitment to his will. Trusting he is good. Thanks for watching this video. If you want to learn more about our church, go ahead and click the link in the description or head on over to experienceredemption.com. Have a great week, guys.